The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship which was going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down below into the hold of the ship and lain down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come and let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you? that the sea may become calm for us, for the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. And then they called on the Lord, and they said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for thou, O Lord, hast done as thou hast pleased. And so they picked up Jonah, and they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Every time you start to preach on the book of Jonah, I, I am reminded of the time when I was a little boy out in East Texas, uh, I had never seen a whale. And the Texas uh, railroad that ran close to the farm where I lived was quite a distance to the station, but someone told me that a whale was down there at the railroad station. 
And I walked three miles to get down there, barefooted, in overalls, little chambray shirt that cost $16 now and 98 cents then. And uh, I, I couldn't get in because I didn't have a nickel. And I confess to you that I slipped in. I'm sorry to... <laughs> but I did. Uh, and I saw that whale. And I thought about Jonah because my mother had read to me the account of Jonah and uh, the big fish. Uh, it was some special creature of God. Now, someone yesterday sent me an account, which you can come up here and examine if you'd like afterwards. There are numerous stories of people who've been swallowed. Here's the story of a man. Ten men leaped to safety when a harpooned whale split their boat in half. An eleventh man, 35-year-old James Barkley, found himself trapped inside the whale's huge jaws. But incredibly, Barkley did not die. Three days later, he was found inside the whale's stomach, unconscious but still alive. And it's got the whole story about it. I think he went crazy after that, but uh, it, it was... Um, uh, 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 this happens every now and then. And uh, uh, the book of Jonah, we, we get so caught up. Clarence Darrow, you remember uh, Darrow, the great attorney. Many years ago in Chicago, this is, I'm quoting from this little book uh, that the Associate Reformed Church is using for their Women of the Church study. Many years ago in Chicago, two homosexuals by the names of Leopold and Loeb were brought to trial for the murder of a young boy. Their lawyer was the well-known agnostic defense attorney, Charles Darrell. The man famous for his arguments at the Scopes trial regarding the teaching of evolution in the public schools in Tennessee. The Chicago trial was a long one, but at last it drew to its close, and Darrell found himself summing up the evidence. The testimony of one of the witnesses had been particularly damaging to the defense. So Darrell referred to this testimony by saying why a person could as easily believe this man's testimony as he could believe that the whale swallowed Jonah. Well, there were some people in the jury who believed that the whale had indeed swallowed Jonah, and moreover, they believed that Leopold and Loeb were guilty, and so they convicted them. But the sentence, a person can as easily believe that as believe that a whale swallowed Jonah, has become a rallying cry for those who wish to destroy the truthfulness of this uh, narrative. Now, let me say this about this, because some, someone always has to speak to this. Our Lord Jesus Christ in both Matthew and Luke refers to this. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered and said unto the evil and an adulterous generation, Craze for a sign, yet no sign shall be given to it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. For just as Jonah, and this is Luke 30 now, 11:30, for just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man become a sign to this generation. Now, the position of this pastor is that the story of Jonah is a historical uh, account. And I want to say this. 
I had the privilege of going out to Regent College uh, a few years ago uh, through the kindness of a very good friend and taking a course under Dr. Leon Morris, one of the most distinguished New Testament scholars in the whole world, and also uh, taking another course of study under Dr. John R. W. Stott, uh, one of the chaplains to the Queen, and who was a double first at Cambridge. And that takes some doing. Uh, and this is what he said regarding our Lord's attitude toward the Old Testament. What was our Lord's attitude toward the Old Testament? What was his attitude toward the New Testament which had not yet been written and yet which he appointed and authorized and promised to inspire his apostles in order to bear a testimony of him? His attitude toward Scripture, what right have we to disagree with his attitude toward Scripture? I cannot conceive how the Church can have a lower view of Scripture than Jesus Christ. If it does, then to that extent, the Church is apostate. Now, Stott goes on to say this, and you listen. If he is my Lord, I have got to be intellectually converted to him. And to be intellectually converted to Christ means to submit to Christ's teaching. I am under the instruction and authority of Christ, under instruction because he is my teacher, under authority because he is my Lord. I have no liberty to disagree with Jesus. I have no liberty to disobey him. It is simple and fundamental and obvious. And yet the Church has lost hold of these simplicities today. And now it may be that there are some who have difficulties here, but here is the answer to those difficulties. Submit to the instruction and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I agree with John Stott. Now then, people have been so concerned about was what was happening inside the big fish that they have completely overlooked what was happening inside Jonah. And that's really what the book is about. It's what was going on inside him. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and that's important, because one of the most frequently asked questions that comes to me as a pastor and as a college chaplain is, how may I know the will of God for my life? You may know the will of God from, for your life by knowing the Word of God. The Word of God reveals the will of God. And the Word of God will speak to you. And you have no liberty to disobey it and to go contrary to it. And when you do, you invite disaster. And this is precisely what happens in the case of Jonah. To discover the will of God he did not want the will of God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. He was told specifically what to do. That great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And that this city of Nineveh and the Assyrians were among the cruelest, most heartless people in their hideous tortures that I have ever read anything about. I did not even wish to repeat so that it would be in your imagination mine 
the cruel things which the Assyrians did. And so one who has read about Assyrian history can have some sympathy with Jonah here, but the fundamental mistake is that Jonah wants to keep God from making a mistake, and he does not want these wicked people to repent. It would be as though we did not want Red China to repent, or we did not want Russia to repent, or even our enemies to repent. He was commanded to arise and to go to Nineveh, that great city, and to cry against it, for their wickedness has come up against me. But Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, rose up to flee, to run, to Tarshish, to run from the presence of the Lord. Every time you try to run from the presence of the Lord and to disobey him, you're inviting trouble. So he goes down to Joppa, and he finds a ship which is going as far away as he can get from Nineveh. And I love Herman Melville's account of uh, the preaching of the old chaplain with the peg leg who comes into the church and preaches from the prow of the ship uh, in uh, Moby Dick. Because he says that this sea captain with one eye out and a patch over his eye glances over Jonah, and he can tell that Jonah's nervous. Jonah says he wants to pay passage, and he said the old sea captain charges him triple fare. And when he pays it, he knows he's a crook because he's trying to get away. And the Lord hurled a great wind. Now, you see, Jonah is trying to uh, run away from the will of God. The will of God has been discovered to him. The Lord has told him his will. But he's going to disobey it. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. And you remember the story as I read it to you a moment ago, how that Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship and had gone sound asleep. Now, in discovering the will of God, people sometimes say to me, well, you should watch circumstances. Go out there at the airport today, and if a plane's flying, maybe the Lord means for you to take it. Back then, they didn't have very many ships going uh, on schedule, and certainly not going to Tarshish. And he goes down to Joppa, and he says, Ah, here's a ship going to Tarshish. Must mean that it's okay for me to go to Tarshish. He's rationalizing, trying to explain away the clear-cut commandment that God had given to him. And so he got on, on board this ship in disobedience to God, and then he goes down inside the ship and goes sound asleep. And I've had people who thought that they could junk their husband and uh, marry another woman's uh, husband. And they said, it's okay, I have perfect peace about it. I can sleep sound. You may be sleeping like Jonah. The sleep of the disobedient. The sleep of the person who is out of the will of God and sleeping in disobedience to the will of God. And that's precisely what he was doing. And so God sends this tremendous storm, and the storm begins to beat upon the ship so that it's about to break up. And the sailors know that something is wrong, and they cast lots, and the lot falls upon Jonah, and they go to him, and they question him carefully. Who are you? I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God who made heaven and earth, 
And then the men became extremely frightened. He knew that he was fleeing from the presence of God. They knew that he was fleeing from the presence of God because he, they, he had told them so. And you know, these I've got a lot of respect for these heathens. They were a lot more patient than Presbytery would have been. Uh, uh, they didn't want to throw him overboard till the last minute. Uh, they wanted uh, somehow to try to salvage him. And uh, they kept rowing, it says, hard. Here it's digging the oars into the sea, trying to push toward shore, and they can't get there, and finally there's nothing else to do. And so they conclude that God means for them to go ahead and obey Jonah's wishes and cast him overboard. Now, is it possible for a person to be so out of harmony with the will of God that he becomes hardened in his heart to the point that he would rather die than to obey God. And he may even be a professing Christian. Let me cite again from the little Associate Reform Presbyterian Church's study book by James Montgomery Boyce of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Can a Christian become so hardened that he prefers death to what God wants him to do? It would be good if we could say no to that question, but unfortunately the answer is yes. By the grace of God, it does not seem to happen too often, though it does happen oftener than we might, than we might imagine. A Christian can become hardened, and this, of course, is caused by sin. And then he gives an apparent illustration of this, and please do not think that I take any joy in reporting this, but I'm reading what Dr. Boyce has written, and I think it's reasonable, and it's very sad. An illustration of this is the life of the late Bishop James A. Pike, whose books we used to sell here, and I think he's been here in Montreat to speak, who rose to national fame through his controversial opinions and his frequent denials of church doctrine. He denied the virgin birth of Christ and presumably had a less than orthodox view of Scripture. And these wrong steps soon led to others. Then this ecclesi and then his ecclesiastical rise. Sometimes if you deny the doctrines of the church, the the press will build you up and make you more famous. He was the Episcopal bishop who in 1958, together with the stated clerk of the United Presbyterian Church, Eugene Carson Blake, launched the proposal for a gigantic merger of the Protestant denominations to be known as the Consultation on Church Union. It was accompanied by an increasing decline of his commitment to other important doctrines of the faith. Even his own rather liberal church, was embarrassed, and there were several charges of heresy, though a heresy trial was avoided. There were also personal tragedies. Pike developed a drinking problem, which led to his joining Alcoholics Anonymous. He had three marriages, the first being annulled, the second ending in divorce, after four children. One of his sons committed suicide after an LSD trip. Pike drifted into the occult and claimed to have made contact with his deceased son through a Philadelphia medium named Arthur Ford. Finally, he left the church, and at last he died in 1969 in the Judean desert while researching a book on the historical Jesus. He reportedly told friends it would be the most sensational of all of his writings. Well, Pike's story is particularly tragic, both for his own sake and for those who were involved in his faith. But it's a pattern played out on a less dramatic level in the lives of many disobedient Christians 
disregard of God's word, disregard of God's word, disregard of his will, leads us into more and more and more trouble, and we can harden our hearts in such a terrifying and tragic uh, manner as this. Now, what's the answer to this? The answer to this is not to defy the will of God like Jonah does. You'll see that when he is thrown overboard in chapter 2, he cites the Psalms many times in, in uh, chapter 2. It's a great prayer that he makes from the innards of the, the fish that was prepared. I remember once almost drowning in the Sebastian Inlet, and when I'd been pulled out and carried to the hospital and dried out, that afternoon I was uh, reading this chapter right here. It fit very well. I'd swallowed so much seawater I could identify with Jonah very well. Well, in my distress, I cried unto the Lord. Now, that's the answer. If we have disobeyed God and he has spanked us, then we need to cry unto the Lord in our distress to seek him and to seek his mercy. Someone has said that Jonah could have written the best several novel. He could have called it Jaws. He could have even written a sequel to it called The Inside Story. Uh, but he made a great prayer from the innards of that fish. And uh, that's a great thing for us to remember, that when we have disobeyed God, that God is not going to cast us off if we repent. He prayed to God. He prayed to God for forgiveness. He cast himself on the mercy of God and in answer to his prayer, this disobedient man is salvaged. Now, it's interesting that in the book of Jonah, everything obeys God except Jonah. If you read about it, the wind obeys God. The dice that they rolled obeyed God. The fish that swallowed him obeyed God. He didn't say, I don't like men. But he swallowed it. And at the end of it, when he gets a little shade out of a gourd vine, the worm came and obeyed God and ate into the gourd. Everything obeys God except Jonah. But in his disobedience, he finds himself in trouble. And God is wanting us to learn from this, that we can discover from the Word of God the will of God and obey Him. That's what He wants us to do. I remember uh, one of the great preachers here, in Andrew, who was here at one of our summer conferences a year ago, standing right here at this pulpit, and he was telling about a young man who had come to him and asked him, he said, I am confused because I do not know what God wants me to do. And he said, I'll tell you what God wants you to do, young man. God wants you to obey him. If God reveals something to you, then be obedient. And as you are obedient, God will uh, give you more light. Cornelia Tin Boom, that marvelous woman whose story has touched the hearts of millions because of what she did in trying to 
saved Jews from being killed by the Nazis in Holland, who was arrested herself and placed into a concentration camp at Robinsbrook, was released after the members of her family had died through a typographical error. A person just like the one who typing the error on the, whatever the charge for keeping the day center was, someone typed the wrong number. And the people in her age bracket were all exterminated except her because of a typographical error. God is sovereign over his servant, even in this concentration camp. And Corey said that later when she went back to this concentration camp, and she found out that what had happened was that a typographical error, an error of man, had caused a miracle to be made by God. That she just thanked the Lord for what he had done in saving her life and promised God that she would fulfill her promise to her sister Betsy that she would go anywhere in the world and speak to anyone, showing them that the love of God was greater than the hatred of man, that the light of Christ was greater than the darkness of the devil. And she said while she was making this prayer, God said, okay, Corey, I want you to go to Germany. And she thought, Germany, these horrible people who killed my family, I have to go to Germany she had to go to Germany to obey God. And as she obeyed God, God brought a great ministry out of her life at the time when most people are making an application for an old folks' home. And she has been responsible for many, many hundreds of thousands of people coming into a knowledge of the Savior because of what happens here. You see, what was wrong with Jonah was that Jonah, Jonah's mind was not given over to the Lord, his heart was not given over to the Lord, his will was not given over to the Lord, and he was going in the wrong direction. But in his distress he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord came to him. Last week I was, I've got to close, and I, I, I was coming back from over at this place, Bon Clarkin, and I was riding with a businessman prominent business person. We were talking about an experience through which I passed a few years ago. I'd had a stroke in the city of London. And it's a horrifying feeling when you want your leg to move and it doesn't move and you want your arm to move and it doesn't move. And he told me, he said, I've never told you this, but he said, after that had happened to you, I was crossing the Atlantic with my family. They were on a, a very beautiful luxury ship. And he said, I waked up in the middle of the night and I was completely numb in my leg. And he said, I thought of what had happened to you. And he said, I, I was afraid. And in my distress, I, cr I called out to the Lord. 
And he said, I thought, Lord, I don't want to die out here in the middle of the ocean. I don't want to have a stroke and be paralyzed out here in the middle of the ocean like this. And he said, Jesus came right there in that stateroom. And Jesus healed me. And when he told me I couldn't help keeping the tears out of my own eyes while he was telling me about what had happened, the Lord had spoken to his heart. And if we are willing to give our hearts to him, then he will take us too. Well, Jonah goes to Nineveh. There's not time to finish the story, and he preaches. He preaches a sermon that's a very easy sermon to remember. All he says is over and over again as he walks through the city, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his old sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And they repent. They repent in sackcloth and ashes from the king on his throne. We are even told that the animals repent. The dogs repent. We got some dogs in Montreat that ought to repent. We, 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 uh, uh, it was the greatest revival in history. And uh, there was a great revival that occurred there. And uh, this happened. But you would think that Jonah would have been happy about it, but instead of being happy about it, Jonah was angry. God had saved all these people, and he got out on the hillside like the elder brother, angry when God had received these people and allowed them repentance. And God is so good. He is so wonderful to us. God allows us to have some second thought. And he reasoned with this angry, petulant prophet. And he said, Jonah, you know this gourd that come up and died that you're so angry about? It came up in a day and it died in a day. Well, there are 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. Now, that must have meant children. Almost a million people in Nineveh, but 120,000 children. And here's a little thing for the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and much cattle. And these people deserve the mercy which I want to show them. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I want to show them my mercy. Now let me say this in closing. There's a lot of talk today about liberation, theology, feeding the hungry of the world. If you really want the hungry of the world fed, get people converted. Get them regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit so that love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and self-control are in their life. The liberation which this world needs is the liberation which was accomplished when the greater than Jonah came and went to the cross and died to take away our sin, which is the cause of all of this trouble that we're trying to cure after man's fashion of purity. He has given us the gospel, the keys of the kingdom to preach. And that gospel is repentance, which means a changed mind and a changed heart and a changed life. If you're running away from God today and from his will, then he's speaking to you. 
He's speaking to you and asking you to come to him. Francis Thompson tried to run away from him. I fled him down the night and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. I pleaded outlaw-wise by many a hearted casement curtained red that would be a house of prostitution. Across the margin of the world I fled. I troubled the gold gateways of the stars. He tried to hide himself in astronomy. I clung to the whistling mane of every wind. They at least are for me, surely for me. Against the red throb of its sunset heart I laid my own to, to beat. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat in a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me, if you run away from God. Now listen to the last line. Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. Thou dravest love from thee who dravest me. This is the love of Jesus, and it's extended to you today to keep you from going the wrong way. It's the love that can lead to your salvation. It's the love that can lead to the reestablishment of your home. It's the love that can make things right with your children. It's the love that can make things right in the world. And it's the love that is shown in this marvelous beautiful book which you can sit down and read in two pages and learn lessons that a whole lifetime will be in filling. Let us bow in prayer. Oh God our Father we thank you for the revelation which you have shown to us through Jonah and his petulance and your great patience and this blessed old hymn which tells us that though we be perverse and follow our own way and have strayed far from you and disobeyed your clear commandments and your will, that if we will but turn to thee, that you will take us rejoicing back unto yourself. Help each person here to know that the most wonderful thing that could happen as a result of this day's worship would be if there is some area of their life unsurrendered to you, or their life is not yet under your lordship, that you'll be patient with them to go and meet them where they are and to bless them by receiving them unto yourself. We thank you for your graciousness and your love. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be all glory, honor, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore.